this morning at 8.35, I heard a simple thing. He said, to tell the people, if they'll make room for me, they'll make a place for me, I will come and fill the place. That's a weightier statement than what I could just say about it. I don't, I don't really know how to, um, the way it came to me was not just in a, you could just brush that off. <clears throat> I did hear it from the mayor or the governor, wasn't the deputy, wasn't the deputy sheriff. He said, tell the people that if they will make a room for me in, in their life, their heart, if you will make a room for me in this, in this facility, this church, he said, I will come and visit. Now, I know he's in us, and I know he's with us, but that's not what he was talking about. There's a difference between who we are in him, because he's always with us, but he's not always in manifestation. And if you want the manifestation, he said, tell them if they will, if they will, if they will make the room, because sometimes there is no room. Sometimes we filled every little cook, crook and cranny with about everything, uh, and there's no place for him to fill. So in doing that, sometimes we have to deeply, we have to remove, we have to take some things out of the way. Sometimes if you only have so much closet space, uh, I got a pastor friend of mine, and he told his wife, he says, since we downsized, <clears throat> he said, it's okay if you want to go get something else, but he says, you're going to have to take something out of this house if you're going to put something in this house. Because <clears throat> if you go to 5,000 square feet down to 1,500 square feet, uh, you can do all the math you want to. That won't work if it was full. And sometimes to have more, we're going to have to have less. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Glad each one of you is here. We only have a few minutes this morning. <clears throat> the reason why we only have a few minutes sometimes is because um, we don't we don't want to go past a place to where you no longer here. So we'll move quickly this morning. Part of what we'll say we're continuing on teaching about the glory of God in Isaiah sixty. Verses 1 through 5, he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And he tells us in the next verse, he says, But darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But at the same time, he says, But the Lord shall rise upon you, and his glory shall see upon you. How relevant are these verses in the day that we live when there is darkness all around us, darkness that we some of us that we never saw the days that we were living in, the things that we see, the things that we witness. But it's here. But what's greater than what is here is the light, for he is the light. And when he was here, Jesus told us he was the light of the world. But as he was leaving, he's telling you that you, you are now the light of the world. I don't know why Christians have a hard time saying that. Uh, I don't mean being boastful pride, but um, you're, you're, you're really just quoting the scripture. You are the light of the world. But why? Because he, the light, is in you shining. 
He said, the Gentiles shall come to the light and the kings to the brightness of the rising. Lift up your eyes round about to see all that gather themselves together. They come to thee, thy sons come from afar, and the daughters shall be nursed at thy side. But you shall see and flow together, and thy heart shall fear and be enlarged because of the abundance or and of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces, which is the word wealth, of the Gentiles shall be converted unto thee. I want to read part of that same passage in the Amplified uh, because that's what it does. It, it disamplifies. It says, arise from your depression. You say, well, I'm not really depressed. <clears throat> well, okay. Uh, but are you where you need to be? Have you settled down? Anyone ever had a soft drink, carbonated drink, and it went flat? And you open it up, you can shake it if you want to. It doesn't taste the same when it loses the fizz, does it? Uh, and sometimes, well-meaning people for a number of different reasons have lost their fizz. You can even shake them and there's no fizz. If you take their pulse, they have one. There is a pulse. But it doesn't seem to register. Uh, today, I'm, um, I, I held back some things for the last two weeks. Really didn't want to. I didn't really want to. Uh, uh, I, I just took it as okay. I'm spending time with the Lord, but I don't know if I really want to minister those things because I was just taking in and doing the inventory myself, and it certainly was relevant to me. And in a few minutes, uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to just simply read. Uh, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of amazing. I, I I was taught a few years ago, or I was told a few years ago, just wherever I go, have pen and paper with me at all times, which is that's for all of us. And um, sometimes the ministry shifts in the way that God uses you, or the way that He's training you, or the way that you hear things, the way you receive things, it can change. Uh, not one hundred percent, but. Um, when I get a little bit further, it'll go from what you might call a sermon to where it sounds more prophetical. And I wrote down, I pulled to the side of the road and I began to pray in a, in what we would, the scripture would call the diver tongue. I, I was praying in tongues, but I never heard these tongues before. Not for myself. I'm, I'm very familiar. It's not that I, you know, that we pray the same thing over and over, but you kind of, kind of know you and uh so it was a diver tongue and it had a lot of it had a lot of uh um i guess the volume was more i was by myself uh i i could feel a sense of urgency uh not not anger not not condemnation but just uh urgency warning uh wake up listen uh wake up listen and uh at eight thirty this morning, he said he said, This is what I told you about prayer two weeks ago in the back room before church. That if you don't if you don't do what I'm saying in prayer, he says, the, the people nor this church will ever will ever come to the place what I've called it to do. So I'm not pulling on people to, to be here, and then if you can be here, be here. And uh six thirty, seven thirty. Um 
these were things that we we kind of uh, had working in a pretty good manner a number of years ago. But things happen and people get older and people can just go to heaven. They, they just took off. <laughs> so we had some we had some pretty good prayers and and then uh, and people who we knew heard from God and um, you could you, you could trust you know what they would tell you and there would be a general consensus cons, you know consensus in the room sometimes when we talked it's not that you had to hear something that had to be told every time but most of those people some of them moved away uh, but most of them moved to heaven it, it, it was really interesting uh, uh, um, my siblings uh, we, we talked about after uh, my mother passed in two, uh, June of 2017, and it was only about two or three weeks later. And uh, not that we were all together, but as we would see different ones when we talked, we'd like, you know, everything was different. It just changed. It, it wasn't because your mother's gone. I mean, that's part of it, but that's, that wasn't what we was talking about. It's just like there is a lot of things that's just like going on at one time. It's just, just like everything's trying to, you know, um, mess up and everything crazy stuff is going on and, and, uh, it's just, and, and all of us kind of had the same situations that we were dealing with. I mean, they were different in nature, but I mean, it was, it was chaotic. And, and I could just sense in my spirit that there's something wrong. And so I asked the Lord, so what, what's this about? Cause it's not just, I mean, it's, this is not the normal thing. This is, this is not, you know, this is, I mean, it's life, but I'm just saying, but it's, it's not the normal thing going on. He said, he said, your mom's not there. And I said, well, yeah, I know that. He says, and of course, she was really an intercessor. She, that was her whole thing. She's praying, she's praying for a lot of you all the time, whether you knew that or not. Uh, that's what she lived to do. And, uh, and I would say pretty faithful to do it. I, I could tell you stories, uh, that she told me about many of y'all. When she prayed, probably never have told you. Uh, she liked, she loved Nathan. Um, for different reasons. Wow. I don't know what that is. Wow. And his sons. He said, wait till you see what really is going to happen. She said, you know, when you make time for the Lord to listen, it won't take you that long to get into the spirit when you, when your relationship's that way. It's amazing what he'll show you if he can trust you. Hmm. Anyway, we all noticed like everything is going wrong. <laughs> and the Lord said, it's because the gatekeeper is no longer there. And uh, when he said it, I knew what he was talking about. Uh, so we have a little pre-service prayer, which is not the kind of prayer we need. 
that's not the purpose of, you know, for 10 minutes, just to, you know, hello, help us, help the children, help the, I mean, that's all that's good, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a major move of God in the earth. He never had one without prayer. It's funny because it, that's what the enemy fights so much. Every pastor tell you the hardest thing to get in with do is kind of prayer. Well, I, I, I'm, I just don't really have time. I just like, you know, but we, we do this on that day. And, you know, I, I, and I was reminded this week of something Brother Hagin said. You've heard me tell the story and made me more to me than it does you. But he said, uh, when he was in the hospital one time, uh, Brother Hagin had five, had, no, I'm sorry, had eight visitations in his lifetime, Jesus appearing to him, talking to him about different things. Uh, and I'll only say what he said, but I don't want to tell the story because it's not relevant to what we're talking about. But he said that because people don't take the time to seek and find out, he wasn't talking about the, the congregation. He said, uh, he was talking about his ministers. And so Brother Hagen was kind of uh, behind in some things. And things wasn't working the way he thought they should have been. And he was in the hospital and that shouldn't be happening as far as he was concerned. And Jesus, and he said he heard some noise in the hallway. And if, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing. I may not have the story. I hadn't actually read it in a while, but he heard something coming and the door opened up and he looked. And when the door opened, he could see the, the feet and the sandals. He, he wasn't wearing Wranglers or Levi's. You know, his period is in the robe, what you'd expect. He talked to him for an hour and a half about a number of things. But he talked to him about why you're here. And, um, um, 1993, uh, uh, September of 93, um, Yes, yes, well, August, August 93. Um, we were in our second year of, of Rhema Bible College. And, um, in, it, it's our second year, but it's someone's first year. So everybody goes to orientation again for a week. Basically, what they do is take a week to try to talk you out of being there. Because they've learned if they can talk you out of being there, you, you won't stay there anyway. You always tell right, right after Christmas break when people go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and then it's, then they come back, it's January. You know, there's like, there's a lot of empty chairs in here. <laughs> Somebody went home and just decided to stay there. This is too much. It's too hard. I can't do all this. Um, I mean, that happens in school too. I realize that. But Brother Hagen wasn't there for orientation. And the reason why he wasn't is because he was in the hospital. Now I'll just say this. I'm just quoting him. You can have your own opinion if you want to, but uh, it, it's his story, you know, and you can do what you want to with it. He said, uh, I'm not talking for the general public, he says, but uh, he says, for me, when I get sick, he said, he said, for me, when I get sick, not you, because of my relationship and, and how I've walked with the Lord and what I'm called to do. He said, uh, usually when I, when I get sick to the place I'm in the hospital, he says, because I've, I've disobeyed the Lord and what he's told me to do. And he said, he, so he wasn't there and he was having situations 
we, we, you know, we, we were blessed because, I mean, he, he, he passed in 2003. And, uh, so we were there in 92 to 94. So, uh, he, I, I, unless he was out of town, uh, Brother Hagen was one of our teachers three times a week. And boy, that was good because he had, he had, uh, you know, he could do what he wanted to. He taught faith library, which they thought he might be qualified to teach that. But that, that class could go any way he wanted it to. And sometimes he'd get into them stories and boy, I mean, you, you'd see it in the scripture. Uh, you, you know, I'm talking about his ministry. And then he said, you know, back in 19, whatever, you know, on the east side of North McKinney Street, you know, at, you know, 1037 in the morning, you know, on the east side, you know, and he'd just go down and you're like, wow. And, uh, but he wasn't there. So he, when he came back later on, uh, he, he talked to the second year students, uh, of why he wasn't there. And he said a, a few years ago, uh, I was told, uh, I was in my fourth and final phase of ministry and I was to begin Holy Ghost meetings. And he says, some of y'all don't even know what that is. And some of you think you know what it is. And he says, but, uh, I haven't been in that flow in quite a while and I knew the Lord told me to do it and I'm, I was going to do it, but I haven't been in that flow for a while. And, uh, he says, so I was going to do it. And then another went, year went by and he says, I said, do Holy Ghost meetings. He says, I'll, I'll do that, Lord. I'll prepare. And he says, but you know, life got busy and like this. And he says, so here it is three years later and I'm in the hospital and Jesus appeared to him and he said, I told you to do Holy Ghost meetings or you can come home. He said, because this is a move, the spirit that these generations don't know anything about. And if, and if you don't, if you don't teach them, he says, it'll be lost to this generation, the generations to come. Do, do with that what you want to. <clears throat> if you want to write a note, you can write it off, throw the trash can. But I respect your, you know, I respect your right to do that. So he wasn't there. He said, but the men and I repented. He said, there was something I had left. They, they, he said, they, he said, I truly repented and I told the Lord Jesus, I'll go do this. And so he called, um, you know, his son-in-law, Buddy Harrison. He said, you know, I haven't been in that flow a number of years of a Holy Ghost meeting. And he says, so book me in some little churches outside of, you know, Tulsa out in the country so I can, I can get in that flow again. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the flow that he stayed in until he, he went home to be with Jesus. And man, I don't, I mean, I, I, I was in those meetings. I, I was in a lot of them. And, um, the, the last meeting I was with him, I didn't realize that, uh, this week I was in my office at home and I was looking some things up about the glory of God and Brother Hagin popped up and, and he was, he was teaching at Pastor Webb's church in Roebuck, Birmingham in the year 2000. So this is three years before he went home. And he talked about the glory and when he was 16, 17 years old, something like that. And when he was on a deathbed, you know, he was paralyzed for 16 months. We talked about the glory. He thought he was leaving, but the glory filled the room and they couldn't get in the room. And he said, grandmother made a run for it and says she bounced off it like a wall. So, uh, he said later on, he said some things happened. I couldn't talk about it. He said, because what happened was so sacred. I just, I just don't think I could tell it. He says, so many years went by and the Lord said, now tell, tell that part of it. He said, but it was 20 years later. He said, my mother, who lives in Texas, actually heard these things. And, uh, he said, next to my sorrow, she said, I heard you on the radio talk about that day. Um, when, 
it, it, it looked like the day you were leaving your departure. And, and anyway, she said, I, I listened to you. And, uh, she said, but the way you, the, the way you described it, she said, you know, it only lasted like six, seven minutes. He said, yeah, that's right. She said, well, <laughs> let me, let me tell you our side. You know, with, uh, his grand, cause, uh, they lived, they lived with, uh, his grandparents. Uh, Brother Hagin's father left his, uh, left his family and children when they were five years old, abandoned and never came back. And his mother had a complete nervous breakdown during a time of depression, you know, trying to raise, uh, the children. So they had to move in with, uh, her parents. And then he became totally paralyzed and had, uh, three medical issues. Either one was going to claim his life. He had no chance to live whatsoever. He had no help. No one could teach him anything. Everyone that he knew, you know, said, well, it must be your time to go. And, and the only help he could get was, he said, I'd try to talk. He said, he said, I had some speech till 10 o'clock. By then I'd lose my sight. I'd lose my faculties. He says, so I try to get a minister to come. And he said, when he come, he said, I'd find something in the Bible. He said, it, it, it would take me 10 minutes to turn one page over. He said, because of the paralysis. And he said, then I'd find a scripture. And I try to read before 1030 because then I'd be blurry and I couldn't see nothing. So when the preacher come, he tries to say, you know, what he's trying to say, does this mean what it says? And he'd go, ah, 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 <laughs> you know, trying to get the words out. And he said, I remember you just take his hand. He said, he says, you know, he says, it's all right, my boy. It's all right. It'll all be over soon. That's how he used to say it. It'll all be over soon. He said, was, you know, which is a great encouragement. <laughs> <clears throat> so we we know how he came out of off a of deathbed. He said, "Lord, when you raise me up, I'll go preach." So he raised him up out of a revelation. He said, uh, "Here's the thing: it doesn't take 16 months to get healed." He said, "It was just 16 months before I got the revelation of Mark 11:23." So the contrary to some people's belief, Brother Hagen didn't write Mark 11:23, even though they thought he did. But when he was in Roebuck in 2000. Uh, at the Webb's church, he taught on the glory and talked about that experience when he was in the room and they, and they tried to get in there. He said, he told his brother, he said, go get mama. I'm, I'm leaving. He said, cause I already died once. I know what it's like to die. So he said, go get mama. Um, cause she, she'd want to be here and I don't want to be by myself. So yeah, he said, he ran and called mama. Uh, he said, Ken's dying. Ken's dying. Ken's dying. And she said, we, we, and he says, but when my brother left, he says, all of a sudden, this light, this, he says, like this mist, this white fog began to come in the room and the air began to change. And then I couldn't see anything in the room. Well, he's just, he's just a teenager, you know, and, uh, not really knowing what's happening. And, uh, he thought he was dying. And then he began to have an experience where he began to say, uh, he heard Jesus uh, say that he's, he's not coming because his work's not finished. But they're trying to get in the room and they can't get, they can't get in the room. It's filled with the glory of God. They didn't know what it was, but they, you know, they, they could just, it was, it was a heavy mist. And, uh, so he never knew it. She says, so his mother said, let us tell you our birth. She says, so she says, uh, mama, you know, his grandmother, she says, she got to run and start <laughs> this time. And she tried to bust through the, you know, uh, it wasn't the wall. The door was open. She says she, she bounced off of it like a, like a rubber ball off of, he used to throw on a tennis ball. It bound to come back. She said, we couldn't get in the room for several minutes. Several minutes. The glory. The glory. I don't know how to convey to you, and I, I believe most of you care. I hope all of you do. 
The church, it offers so little today. I can see why people don't come. I really can. I can see why they don't come. They know there's more. Others don't even think about it. Somewhere someone's got saved today. Somewhere someone's backslid. Somewhere someone's red hot. Someone's just lukewarm. You know, that's always been a, I mean, I'm talking about it in the general consensus of thing. Not everybody's on the same page. I hope you're the one who wants more. I, I hope that you are. Because there's a whole lot more. And when I, and when I write these things and I hear them by what I wrote down was through tongues and then interpretation. Tongues and interpretation over a period of two or three days. It would be a nuggets. Then at the end of the week, I end up having four pages. And some of it seemed a little confrontational, so I didn't want to deal. I didn't want to talk about it. I thought, well, I'll just deal with myself. He's talking just to me. But then it wasn't just, uh, I realized it wasn't just me, and I realized it wasn't just this church. It was the body and where it's at and how, how, how sad he is for what he sees, the condition of his church and what he wants for us. So I want to get to that place if I can, if you allow me to do that. Would that, would that be okay? Uh, I'll skip over teaching as much just to get to him. If you remember, we talked about the rain out of Zechariah. We said, ask the Lord rain. And then in Hosea 6, he said that he shall come to, to us as rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. He shall come. So Zechariah says, ask for rain. Hosea said that he'll come like rain. But he'll come like the former and the latter. See, Jesus never really told you to pray for the harvest. He did tell you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth what? Labors, but he didn't tell you to send forth the harvest. He said, send forth the rain. The rain brings the harvest. The rain brings the harvest. Um, every year, usually twice a year, I have uh, different books that I read uh, and have for years. Um, just my thing. And uh, uh, I have it with me. Uh, he instructed me, he says, it's time to read that book again. And the reason I read it is because I just keep certain things in me. Because I know there's a whole lot more than what we're seeing and doing, even the things that I've got to see. Uh, myself is just, is just a smidgen of what he wants to do. But certain things, even from the past, can cause a, a hunger on the inside of you. Uh, you know, if, if it's there. If someone's fully satisfied, it doesn't matter what you're serving up, they don't want any of it. When you're ministering to people and they're hungry, oh, it's a pleasure. It's, it's so hard to minister to people when they're not hungry. You can tell because the conversation before church and after church is just, you know, fishing or hunting or sports or whatever. That means you ain't, you ain't reached anybody. You're not, you're not getting anybody, you're not ministering to people, you're not getting them saved, you're not getting them healed. It all just comes down to having fun and just going home and eating chicken sandwich. I know that sounds real serious, doesn't it? Not the way I put it. But there, but, but there, there has to be more. There has to be a whole lot more. And when you read a book like I read twice a year, it's, uh, it's from Azusa Street, you know, the, the man who, Tommy Welsh, which is now in heaven himself, he was instructed to find the people that were still alive at Azusa Street. And, and they, these people were so close, they all lived kind of almost in the same place. I, I forget the, uh, the name of the community, but they all kind of just, uh, well, you can imagine, uh, the events that took place 
and because these were the kids that was there. Or they, these were the teenagers. And they all said, you know, the most astonishing miracles, you know, was was when uh, William Seymour, uh, who was the one who was sent to preach the revival, they said it was astonishing, you know, his miracles. But most of the miracles weren't, weren't his. It was the the people, uh, the believers in the church that prayed for the others. And you had everything happen. Uh, I mean, that, that book is full. So he, before the died, uh, the Lord says, go find these people, interview them. So he went there, had gained their trust. And he said, I would just by respect and honor sit at their feet and try to get them to tell me the stories and get it recorded before they passed. And uh, so he kind of moved there and he uh, they accepted him. He said they'd always make cookies. He says, he says I, I ate a lot of chocolate chip cookies and drank a lot of milk. He says, uh, which I like, but I shouldn't have liked it. He said, but they liked it. <laughs> so he says, so, and I was, I would purposely sit on the floor at their feet and let them tell me the stories because now they were almost 90, 80s and 90s. He said, but they were teenagers and kids when it happened. And they said, oh yeah, we were there at least three, four times a week. He, he said, sometimes so we, we, we wouldn't miss a time. So you had about three and a half years and uh, the whole world came. Smith Wigglesworth came. John G. Lake came. They all came. The Lord was advertising his own meeting. The, the creative miracles, you know, people would come with lost limbs, fingers that was cut off, and the Lord would, would, would grow out fingers. Sister Laney, she uh, watched it, she prayed, but she didn't really expect that to happen. And then the fingers began to grow, grow out, and, and, she, and uh, they said she passed out, and they were laughing. I said, yes, she passed out. And, uh, and he said, well, how old are you when that happened? She said, I was 17. And he came and he had a, he worked at a machine shop or something like that and lost two of his fingers and he heard about this place. So she said he had them all wrapped up and he came and they were just, you know, just a gory, bloody mess. And well, they're seeing so many miracles. They just said, well, that ain't no big deal. I mean, that ain't no big deal. I mean, <clears throat> it's Tuesday. You came to the right place. And these were teenagers. And, uh, Brother Seymour, during praise and worship, he would be sitting there with a box over his head and no one would touch him and no one would touch that box. And they asked him finally, and he, there was a lot of scrutiny about him wearing that box. He finally, they said, we, he, we fi he finally quit wearing the box. And they said, it seemed like some of the miracles began to diminish when he did that. He said, I, they said, well, what are you doing? I mean, I, I mean, are you, I'm, what are you doing? He said, I'm meditating and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. And he just, you know, he's just in an old building and he's got a, some kind of box on his head. It was like a crate. That, that's strange. Isn't it? You think, well, is that necessary? I don't know if it's necessary or not. But that was his way of just closing in all around him. And uh, people were scared to get, you know, instead of the kids would kind of get down and look up, not trying to touch him, but look underneath that box. And some said, well, did you ever touch it? They said, no, we didn't know if we'd get blessed or killed. <laughs> we, 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 we ain't touching that box. <laughs> and so the, the whole world came. And, uh, I was just reading this morning to some woman who kind of, she twisted her ankle and it was all swollen. See, at the time she'd try to walk it, pop, 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 pop. And, uh, and then they said, uh, so they had, she was in a wheelchair for a while. And so they said, uh, Sister Lamy, she, uh, she had this thing of, uh, uh, people who was in wheelchair, she corrected everybody in the room because they start praying for them and she'd stop their prayer. She said, no, 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 no. They said, what are we doing wrong? Now she's a, she, she's a 18, 19 years old, but she's seen so many miracles, you know. 
she said, oh, yeah, I, I didn't miss any nights. She said, uh, he said, well, how many, how many, I mean, she said, oh, yeah, there was a lot of people coming. She said, the fire department's coming all the time because most of the nights, if you went out, and she said, they finally quit coming. She said, if you go out, there'd be a flame like a fire going from the top of the building up to heaven. Then there would be one coming out of the skies to meet it. She said, so the fire department, you just, they finally quit coming because people would call and say, that place is on fire. I said, yeah, we know it's okay. Just, it'll be, it'll be hard or it'll burn you, but, but it, it, we, we don't call us no more. And they just begin to accept it. Pretty, pretty phenomenal, isn't it? So she said, uh, uh, Sister Laney, she, she, she wouldn't let anyone pray in the room. She'd correct him if they was in a wheelchair because, uh, you know, you have the two, what do you call them? You know, where you put your feet, you know, just, you know, and, uh, she wouldn't let you pray for someone when them, you know, when the metal parts are down, you put your feet because she said you have no faith they're going to get up and walk. So she said, before you pray for anyone with a chair, she says, you, you, you know, you, you, you get them foot rest up and then we pray because we pray in faith and God's going to heal someone. We're not going to see what it does. And if we do, we'll take them up. So here you got like an 18, 19 year old girl who's running the room. And, uh, she said, uh, and she says, you know, it, it was a phenomenal thing for us. And she said, uh, she said, so we, he said, well, how, how many miracles did, like, did y'all see? She said, well, our parents was there. And she said, but a lot of us teenagers, she said, most of the praying was, well, Brother Seymour had us do it. She said, his miracles was phenomenal. She said, but now we have people come in. One woman, woman came in with an ear, you know, off where the husband had been, was in an affair and she called him with him. And, uh, the mistress, you know, and the wife got in the fight. And the mistress bit off the wife's ear. And she come blood everywhere and one no ear. And one of the kids just put the hands up there and God grew a new ear. Uh, one of them came in one time and they didn't know, you know, and these were, you know, teenagers or early 20s. And she had a problem with her nose, had broken her nose. And it was all kind of messed up. And, and so the Lord healed her nose. And she looked at it. And she said, well, thank God. She said, I, I mean, I, she said, but it, it looks funny. It's got a crook in it. And she said, could you pray and ask the Lord to change my shape? And they said, well, you ought to be just, she said, well, I guess we could. I mean, I don't, I don't know. So she said, well, what do you want? And she told her, she said, well, I want it to look like this and look like this. And they just put the, they didn't know. But they've seen so many miracles. I think, oh, I guess he would. It's all in the book. Lay their hands on them and, and the Lord reshaped their nose to their liking. <laughs> so I guess the Lord's into cosmetic surgery. I don't know. So, uh, <clears throat> the lady whose ankle's all messed up, you know, so she's, it's all swollen and popping all the time. And, uh, they started praying for her and, and she, she, she ran across the room and wouldn't let them do that. She says, uh, <clears throat> she says, you, you get them paddles up. She says, because you're going to pray for her and she's fixing to get up and dance. I said, okay, that's right. We, we, we forgot. She says, yeah, y'all quit forgetting that. She says, there, there's no faith when you do that. In other words, we're going to pray and this is going to happen since we pray. They had an expectation of it and they saw so many miracles. Of course, they had so much confidence in it. Church don't have that confidence. So they have programs. 
they have worship and praise, and sometimes it's anointed, and sometimes it's just musicians who can make a lot of good noise. Most of what happens in churches, if you don't mind me saying, is not worship at all. It's people come reading words off the screen. Sometimes the words on the screen is a curse because all we're doing is reading them. It's no worship at all. There's no, there's no worship from the heart. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about in general. Amen. But the Lord knows our heart. He knew David's heart. He said, David's after my heart. <laughs> and we all know David made some mistakes, <clears throat> but the Lord didn't kick him out, did he? So here it goes. Um, we took a little detour about the gifts because he's talking about uh, a time that's about to happen and he wants to prepare us for it. Um, what is the glory? Well, it's his manifested presence in it. That's really what his presence. Now, you understand, we know Christ in you, the hope of glory, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's being manifested all the time. So, you know, I talk to Christian because our hardest thing is, you know, is finding music that's scriptural. And, um, so there's some songs we don't, we don't do on purpose that's real popular that you like and you like the music, but, but they're just not, they're just not, they're not new covenant, they're old covenant. And, the, and that can appeal to your emotions. And if you're wanting to tap into people's emotions, it's easy to do, but you're taking away everything of who they really are. But sometimes there's more than one side to the mountain. So you can, you know, like you can sing a song, say, well, you know, that ain't really because this is who we already are. Uh, one of the songs we talked about doing today, we didn't do it today, but the, the old song, You Deserve the Glory, which is a beautiful song. But it says there's no one like you. Well, on one side, the Lord believes... <laughs> Uh, he, he's tried to create a whole generation to be just like him. But that's just one side of saying that. Is there anyone like our God? No. So, you know, sometimes when people have a, a assignment with a revelation, they see everything through that, everything through that. So if you just say, well, we, we, you know, we believe in the finished work and we do. We believe Christ in us and we do. Then you could take that song and just scratch it off. You say, "Bless God, you know we got a whole <clears throat> the whole church is supposed to be like Him." We don't run around saying there's no one like you, <clears throat> but are you God? I'm not. Are you? Do you know any? So if there are God, do you know another one like Him? There's the other side. So would that would it be wrong to sing it with that kind of thinking or understanding? Certainly not. And so worshippers. Is not when you do two or three or four songs and whatever's popular on Hillsong or, or, you know, Elevation Music or whatever. You, you can have the most popular songs and the Lord's the least interested in it. You know, some of the most, some of the most memorable times that I, that I remember where the presence manifested is when they didn't have music at all on purpose. They could have played. And some of the Holy Ghost meetings, Brother Hagin, he wouldn't let them play. He wouldn't let the Ramers sing. Um, Ramers had the capacity because they, uh, when, when we was there, you know, they had an orchestra pit. They had, they had 200 people standing in the choir. And then they had 55 to 60 feet, 55 to 60 people in the orchestra pit who played all kinds of instruments. And it was glorious. 
But sometimes it, it, it was just music. And you know, you, you know, ha having 50 instruments and the, the, it's all wonderful and glorious, but that doesn't make you a worshiper. If you can't get it in your car and you can't get it at home, you know, I, you understand what I'm saying? It's not, I'm not anti the music or the people. I'm saying, but sometimes we, we've replaced that. But the Lord is seeking those who worship him. He didn't say he was seeking a banjo or a flute or a violin. So those things have sometimes, uh, people who access those things, they have substituted that for something that's not real worship. It's not just what we do at the first part of the service because that's what we're supposed to do because God has some type of ego and we have to, we have to stroke him. And you can tell when a church is involved in worship. Not that it has to be loud, but when you, when you hear nothing in the room and there's really no hands raised and people just reading words, it's not worship. If it's not moving you, it's not moving him. You, you can't come up with music or you can't come up with music so professional that the Lord's going to like go off. The heaven probably has a pretty good market on worship. So no one's impressing him with what they're doing, what the capability is. It's, it's all heart. It's all heart. So, <clears throat> you know, really all my siblings can sing. I was the only one who really didn't get the singing voice. And I, I was like, well, I, that ain't fair. He said, yeah, but I gave you the good looks. I said, well, yeah, I know that, but I would like to have been able to sing too, you know. That was the best response I've got so far today about anything. <clears throat> Are you laughing with me or at me? So we want his glory because manifest your presence. He talked to him about the gifts, and I'll get back to that later because my time's leaving, and I told you we would we would uh, move along. Um, and every move of God on the earth that's ever happened, we've ever seen, there were forerunners who bravely stepped out. This is not from someone's book. They weren't worried about what others thought about them. They weren't trying to be everyone's best friend. They weren't trying to be politically elect or, or, or correct and not trying to offend anybody. No, that wasn't their reason and purpose. They were hungry to see a legitimate move of God. Did I mention they were hungry? They weren't satisfied with the status quo. They didn't know everything God wanted to do. They didn't just sit and wait till God explained himself to see if it made sense. No, they made themselves available. They said, oh God, I'm here, I'm available. If you can use me, then my answer to you is yes. I, I don't know how... Um, praise God. Nathan, you're going to see a big change in your family. And it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's going to make your heart glad. Mm. It's going to make your heart glad. Mm. 
he's, he's heard your prayers. And, and, and he'll do it. Yeah. I used to think as a kid, I don't know how my dad ever would ever be saved and go to heaven. You know, like that's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I don't want my dad to go to hell, but I don't see no way this is ever going to happen. <clears throat> but I uh, found out he wasn't that hard a case when he got towards the end. Everything changed. Just when you know you leave us. He wanted to know all kinds of things. He could get emotional. He finally could tell somebody he loved him. Couldn't do it all his life, but he could do it at the end. Wasn't the best way, but he got there. And he's absolutely in heaven. I didn't know he could weep or cry. At all. It's, it's, it was something to behold to see Wayne Goss up in the bed with him, holding him, singing to him, and telling him about heaven and the Father, what family really is, and what, why God wanted a family from a man who was messed up with family and his own family, so could never give his family because he 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 didn't know what it meant, and uh, and when would just hold him and he'd sing to him and he'd just stroke him and kissed him on the forehead. And my dad just sat there like a little boy and just wept and cried. And I thought, I thought, I was, that was 2015. And I thought, well, that was happening and the room began to fill up with that mist, that smoke, the glory. And I said, I, <laughs> I was thinking, I always used to wonder, is there any way that my dad could ever be saved? It, it just looks like he'll never make it. And here he just looked like a little boy. And it wasn't condemning. The Lord didn't condemn him. He saved him. And he went home. Hmm. Before my mother passed, she, uh, she had a vision. And uh, she was telling me about it. This is just two or three days before she passed, and she woke up and she said, uh, "She said, here I got. I need to tell you something." And it it, it wasn't the medication; it was was what she saw. She said, "Uh, "I saw your dad," and I said, "What do you What do you mean?" She said, "I I I saw your dad," and uh, she said, "Uh, "Do you remember that picture?" Him running down a hill, a hillside. And I said, Yeah, I remember which one you're talking about. She said, You know, he had that jet, she said he was 28 years old and had that jet black hair. She said, A good looking man. I said, Yeah, yes, ma'am. She said, I saw him. And I said, Did you talk to him? She says, Yeah, I did. She said, But, uh, she said, It was like, uh, um, she said, I don't know. She said, Like, like the living room. She said, how long is that? I said, well, it's about 20-something feet. She said, yeah, I like that. She's like, the whole length of the living room, a little bit more. And she said, your dad was on the other side and had he was young. She said, look like he was like 27, 28 when I married him. And she said, he had a boy and a girl next to him. She said, those were our kids, the one that, that we that we lost. But she said, I lost the two kids. I said, oh, yeah. She said, I said, did he tell you that? She said, no, I, I just knew that was my children. She said, they were with your dad. 
And uh, she said, uh, I said, what, did, did he say anything to you? She said, yeah. She said, I only said one thing. And she said, I couldn't get across there. And she said, I started to go down. He said, you can't come over here. And she, and he, and she said, all he would say was, Doris, come on. Doris, come on. He said, there's so much work to do in so little time before everyone's here. He was talking about the preparation for the church. Now, in terms of me thinking about my dad needs to tell him we need to get ready because it's like I was kidding about he talked in tongues, but you can interpret. (laughs) Usually four letter syllables. And uh, so uh, those things mean a whole lot, you know, when we, uh, to individuals or people, you know, that involves their family or loved ones. But it just tells you about, it, it just tells you about the, uh, I don't know, it, it just tells you about the goodness of God and the mercy of God. Um, you know, I, I was supposed to tell someone here this morning that whatever your situation is, it's not as hard as you're thinking that it is. It's not hard at all. It, it just looks impossible to you. Um, when two, three weeks ago, when the Lord told me, He says, uh, This church ain't ready for what's about to happen. And I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, he said, Your building's not ready. He said, I, he said, I, I want you to get this building fixed. He said, It, it ain't ready. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, you, you got to do some natural things. He says, you, you built a church in Africa. You, you built a home. You're, you're still doing missions. He says, but for what's coming that you don't know about, he says, you're, you're, this building, the facility is not ready for what, what it needs. He said, I, I, I need it done now. I said, well, well okay. <laughs> so then he gave me, he, he gave me the figure. I said, well, what am I spending it on? He said, well, some things are obvious, aren't they? And, uh, so, He's, he, he's, there's the natural side of it. You know, this is going to happen. 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 Um, the Brownsville revival, you know, Pastor, um, what's his name? Kilpatrick. Been praying for over a year, three thirty, four o'clock in the morning in his own sanctuary. And he told his wife, he says, I know for a fact God's going to show up. God, you know, that's the way I say it. God's going to show up here. There's going to be a revival. He says, and, and I sense it's going to last for, he said, it could last for six or eight weeks. Well, it, it lasted every bit of that. Actually, five years. But the Lord had to send him a few million dollars to get his building ready before it happened. That was the natural side. He said, I don't have the money to do this. He said, but, but I do. He said, I have people who obey me. Well, uh, four and a half million people came through Pensacola in five years. Millions were saved. Tens of thousands were healed, filled with the Holy Ghost. Because there was a, there was a hunger there. And the Lord said this morning at 830, he said, if if the people will make a place for me, he said, they'll make, uh, room for me in their life and their heart. He says, I'll come and I'll feel that place. Hmm. I'm sorry. I just, uh, praise God.
Sometimes you, you feel it. It's hard just to tell it. So <clears throat> I'll finish up here. This, is, I think, is the, the part of tongues interpretation. Um, he talked about the people that were picked. He said they weren't the most gifted, they weren't the most talented to pick from. Their doctrine wasn't perfect. He said their personality could be quite a bit quirky or awkward. They had faults, mistakes, rough around the edges. I think he was talking about the disciples. Uh, many of them were just like Peter. You know that I call him a rough, salty dog, <laughs> like Peter. They were as different as day is from night. Some loud, some soft-spoken, some well-educated, or others struggled to read. They were tall, they were short, they were skinny. And others, this is my way of putting it, full gospel size. But as different and unique as they were, one from another, they all had one, they all had some things in common. Did I, did I mention hunger already? They had desire, they had passion, they weren't complacent. They were thankful, they were grateful, they weren't, but they weren't satisfied. They knew there was more. They had experienced wonderful times in God's presence. They saw signs, they saw wonders, they saw miracles. They were people filled with the Holy Ghost, salvation, and the gifts of the Spirit. But they knew on the inside, just like I know, and just like I know that you know, that God had a whole lot more. They were just plain hungry. They wanted the move of God, the move of the Spirit. They didn't want church as usual, three psalms offering a sermon, a visit in the fort or the parking lot. But a true living presence of the glory of the Holy Spirit in their, in their midst. A glorious visitation that cannot be derived. This is the, this is the interpretation of the tongue on the, on, when you pull over on the side of the road. People are gloriously saved. Others are gloriously healed. Deliverance from every captive, every addiction and burden removed. How, how could you want less than all of that? I felt his heart. Why, why do you want less than that? How long will my children of the Most High live on, live on the crumbs? So I, I ask you, are you truly satisfied? Have you gone as far as you want? What's sad is most people who call themselves or confess themselves as Christians and love the Lord actually don't even know me. You can't truly know me and experience my amazing love and grace and forgiveness and be the same. How could you? I don't know who you think that you met. Was it the one who saved you? The one and true God, the creator of mankind, the universe? It wouldn't and couldn't be the same as before you were saved. You couldn't say, I know him. He lives in me and we have sweet, continuous fellowship. And you still live in known sin every day. I mean, willingly practicing sin. Not practicing my presence. Has your conscience become so seared? Do you truly love him? Because he loved you first. Are you hot? Are you cold? Or are you lukewarm? I wait for your answer. I demand your answer. 
Should other Christians and baby Christians follow you the way that you're following Christ? Does my son's teachings abide in your heart? Is his word and his command your chosen way to live? Do you fear God? Do you fearfully with all respect and honor me? Do you, do you actually believe that my son's coming? Do you believe that you'll stand before him and give an account for your life? Are you comfortable with the world, its way of thinking and living, than the way of the world and the spirit? Are you red hot today or has your fire dwindled a bit? Are there any coals left or is it just a distant memory of days gone by? Are you okay to continue this way in your present state? Would you like to move up higher? Colossians 3 said, If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. You know that prophecy from 2014? Have you got it? Did you read it just a minute? I think it was 2014. It happened here. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then she's going to read something. I have the copy of it if you want it. Unless you got it. Okay. And then um, when he gave me the scripture, I'm, I'm writing it down. You know, a lot of times when the Holy Ghost knows when you know something. So, I mean, he'll like this and I'm, I don't know what he's talking about. And I have to go back and, you know, get the actual verse for it. But I knew, I knew he was talking about Ezekiel 37. Where God took Ezekiel up in the vision and showed him a river flowing from the altar of God to the Dead Sea. Remember that? He says, when, if ever, was it suggested or commanded of us to be anything than less than full of the Holy Ghost? When you are full of the Holy Spirit, you will have something to say, something to give, and something to impart. Then he gave me Acts 4, 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, he was having to explain the man at the gate beautiful because he has something to give. I'll give you these scriptures and we won't take time to do it because it's 12 o'clock now. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Y'all know that verse? But they don't quote the rest of it. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they rejected the knowledge. It wasn't that they didn't know, but the knowledge he wanted to give them, they rejected it. Then I was given a verse I didn't even know was in the Bible. That ever happened to you? It's like, well, I'll go read it and we'll just see if it's got anything to do with what we're talking about. It's not this one, it's the next one. Isaiah 29, 13. This is yesterday. I'm sitting in Publix parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Lord, you know I'm at Publix? He says, I, I know we are. He says, just put it in part and turn it off. So he gives me these four scriptures. Isaiah 29, 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Jesus quoted that. He was quoting Isaiah. He said, in other words, they come to say it's worship. They come and honor me with their lips. He says, but I know their heart and their heart is far. They're far from me. In other words, this is lip service is what it is. Hmm. Here's a scripture I didn't know was in the Bible. You probably knew it, but I didn't know it, so I'm sorry. But I know it now. Ezekiel 33, 31. Can anyone quote that? I didn't think so. I couldn't either. <clears throat> and this is what it says. 
and they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as people, and they hear what you say, but they won't do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, and their heart is set on their own game. In other words, they'll come, they'll sit, they'll listen, they'll come to church, but they're not going to do it. I mean, how would you like to get a scripture like that? How would you like to feel the responsibility of a church and get that? And what do I do with it? Or what do I do about it? They come to you as people come. They sit before you as people. They listen, hear what you say, but they won't do it. For they have lustful talk in their mouths and they act. Their heart is set on their own gain. I'm not saying, I don't think he was talking to us in general. I think he was the church and what he wants to do. This is not directed to you individually. When you get this, you feel like, you know, it's just like, this is just me. <laughs> but I mean, it's, but this was the general picture of things that, that are about to change. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 7, 9, he said, you are hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy you when, when he said the same thing? The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines of men the commandments of men. And this is the last thing I wrote down, meaning I praise the Lord with my lips, but I hide the world in my heart. So what do we do about that? We, we were having the Holy Ghost meeting here, and um, uh, there was different people in the room who contributed to that. And this prophecy came forth in 2014, and it had to do with Ezekiel, where he was... The river was going out from the throne. You remember that? It was at the ankle, then the knees, then deep. And um, if you'll read that, then, we'll, then you can dismiss us. How long do I stay in the river? Until it goes so deep that it begins to control my life. How long do I stay in this river? Until I'm out of control and the river is controlling me. Holy Ghost, how long do I stay in this river? Until I'm free of myself and I'm free of my reputation. Until I don't care what I think they think about me. How long do I stay in the river? Until my natural desire for things are left behind. Until my purpose and God's purpose have become one. How long do I stay in this river and in the fire of God? I stay until I'm cleansed, until the dust of the road of life has been washed off, until I've been anointed with fresh oil. How long do I stay in the river? I stay there until I meet the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I know Him by name, and I'm intimate with Him. How long do I stay in this river? Until it goes from the toes to the ankles to the knees to the waist, and to where I can't swim anymore and I have to give up. How long do I stay in this river? 
I stay there until I'm empowered from on high, until I'm strengthened from on high. I stay there until I have an upper room experience. Lord. I stay there until the fire of God hits me in the middle of this river and I can't stay the same. I stay there until my personality is changed by the power of God. Excuse me. I stay there until the fire of God burns all that hell has put in my life. I stay there until the power of God excuse me, moves upon me until I've been completely drenched and dewed with the anointing and abilities that have come from God until I can break the bread of heaven and rejoice in Him. How long do I stay in this river of revival? I stay there. Oh, excuse me. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Oh, God. I stay there until the church looks like the book of Acts. Until every blind eye sees and every deaf ear hears, I stay in this river until I'm endued with great power on high that brings revival to our cities and surrounding areas. I stay in this river until signs and wonders begin to manifest. And I have the same anointing Peter had. Anointings that say silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. How long do I stay in this river until I'm delivered? Until yokes and burdens are removed and destroyed off of my life. I stay in this river and I don't come out until the weights that try to hold me down come off of me. I stay in the river and I listen to the voice of God until I'm strengthened by His Spirit and until the yoke is removed and I'm completely delivered. I stay in the river. I stay I stay in the river. How long do I stay in this river? I stay in this river until I behold His glory. I stay in the river until my eyes are fixed on nothing else but Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And I behold His glory. I stay in the river until my eyes are on Him and off earthly things. How long do I stay in this river? I stay in this river until I awake unto His likeness. And I look like Him on the earth. As He is, so are we. How long do I stay in this river? I stay in this river until I'm a carrier of this revival. Where Christians are filled and sinners are saved until wherever I go, people encounter God. (laughs) I stay in this river until I'm filled with God and I'm emptied of myself. I stay until I'm filled with a divine presence and I'm emptied of the earthly. I stay until my spirit is filled and I overflow with all that is holy. I stay until the fruit of the spirit is infused and flowing in my life and flowing out. I stay until I'm filled with his boldness and I don't fear Satan's threatenings. How long do I stay in this river? I stay in the river until the fire comes on me, until the fire dances on my head. I stay until the fire causes us to 
spill to all nations of the earth as a witness of his glory and his goodness. How long do I stay in this river? I stay in the river until I'm filled with his joy and until his strength returns. I stay in the river until I laugh at my enemies. And I stay until the joy comes back and sorrow and mourning flee. I stay in the river until I can see with the eye of the eagle with spiritual sight and not natural sight how long do I stay in the river I stay in the river until I hear his voice bubbling up in my spirit I stay in the river until I can lay my treasures at his feet and worship him. And all things can be common to the body, where if one member suffers, we all suffer. I stay in the river until love is flowing. And my love is the master and it's being outpoured. I stay in the river until mercy and compassion come together. They meet and kiss one another, and we embrace them. Praise God. I guess if you need to go, go. If you need to go, go. I, I don't know. It's just what he's ready to do. And, uh, in me, it's like, uh, he's asking us. Because you have a will. He knows what he wants to do. Um, for me, he said it started on October the 7th when Israel was attacked. And then huh, I, I taught on in times, you know what, for eight or nine weeks. Then the next one was what? What do we call it? I'm not good on names. What was the series after that? That's how much we pay attention. Ma'am? Seize the moment. And now it's the glory, so it's they're, they're all connected is what I'm saying. So it's within me, it's like he's, uh, he's asking a question because he won't violate your will. Seize the moment. Watch Israel. Know my time. But I believe with all my heart he wants to do a great in gathering a, a, 
across this globe before that time comes. So as many can be brought in, need to be brought in. I think he's visiting cities and people, individuals, churches all across the nations. He wants to use you. And it's, to me, it's, this is like a, the heart of God saying, please understand the time and what needs to be done, prepare. But it's a question. Are you the one that I, that you, are you the one I can use? Or should I look for another? That's all I got. The outside rain. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit said, you can hear the sound of the outside rain. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been present with us the whole time. Yeah. It's never left us. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's our choice. But there, but there is a difference between, well, um, you, you're never without God. You know, you can go into Psalms. I mean, you see him talk about if I go into the pities there, if I go into the heavens there. Romans says, you know, you can't call up here or down there. Well, where's he at? Well, he's in your heart and in your mouth. But it doesn't mean the manifestation is present. He's always here. Greater is he that's in me. So, you know, singing songs, begging the Lord to come is not, it's not, <laughs> it's not what we, we want to sing. But there is another side of that. It's that we just, if you, that you can just be just word and know who you are in the finished work, but you don't, you're not opening up to, in other words, what good would be a word that's just a word only, but it's never confirmed? And if people were at least honest with themselves, if ministers and pastors, People were just honest with themselves, say, you know, my life is not matching what's in this book. We're not getting these results. At least it starts there. You have to at least start there. If you're not, if you're not willing to do that, you will never ask for answers. And uh, I, I just hear the heart of God. Um, he, he, he knows how much time left. And um, he's just asking. No. Can I use you? Would you come sit and pray with me for a while? And here? I mean, the natural things, he says, would you get your building ready? He said, if you was going to have house guests ready, would you, would you do something with your house before they got there? You know, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not trying to get you to do anything. I'm just... I mean, I'm just telling you what I've told. So, uh, I believe the people here has a heart for that. I, I, I believe that with all of my heart. But I think, I know there's adjustments that I've had to make within me uh, to prepare myself for such a thing. And surely, surely we all have some preparation, some adjustments we need to make. Uh, I, I don't know why church has got to where it's got to. 
I mean, it's not that church attendance makes everything just right. It probably makes the pastor happy. Uh, but uh, how how did your life get so busy that you don't have time for ministry? You don't have time for church. Uh, I remember having a full praise team, four, 12, 14, 16 people sometimes. Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, full worship team. Uh, you know, Wednesday night would be a little bit off. It'd be 35 to 50 people. Sometimes the youth would have as much more than we did. And then somehow you couldn't come to Sunday no more. And then uh, we had to go to school twice a week. Three services. And prayer. But uh, we can't do that now because we, you see, we, why? Because you what? Is there less than 24 hours a day? What did we put? Like this is one of the biggest blessings and curses I've ever seen in my life. This is a thousand dollar computer which can make a phone call. But people can't, they almost, like between commercials, they can't, I mean, I've done it myself, like pick it up. Pick it up, pick it up. Why? This is this is this has become a nuisance in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I appreciate you know what it can do for me and all that, but uh, see you, we all built our own life. You say, well, I got you know, especially business people. Well, I got to go do all this because I got this you know money. I got to. Well, I believe God will supply all that, but if, if you had to, just just. If me tell you, then just if you have to, make a cut somewhere. I mean, what do you do now? I mean, Wednesday's basically gone. Sunday night, it's like a, a memory. What do you do? Cut out Sunday morning. We can start having every other Sunday morning. Uh, I'm just saying, you can see how little by little by little by little by little by little by little what happened. Little by little by little. Azusa Street was three and a half years, uh, and the doors had to stay open, and the whole world came. And he asked those people who now in their 80s and 90s who were teenagers, he said, well, how many people did you pray for a night? She said, most of them said, well, we, there was a bunch of us, and, you know, Mel Seymour prayed for a lot of folks. She said, but we, we all prayed for anywhere from three to seven people a night. And, and she says, I can't think of any miracle that didn't happen. Wheelchairs, legs growing out, uh, recreated miracles, uh, new parts. Because they were laughing at the one where his fingers grew out. And they said, Sister Lane, she said, when he saw his fingernails forming, she said, she passed out, fell on the ground. <laughs> she, you know, between like, she was watching the fingers grow out. And same God, same Holy Ghost. You know, 1906. And uh, when he said this morning, he said, look at the clock. I was walking through the den, and I was going to get my, my book to come get, come here. And he said, if the people will make room for me, he said, I'll come. I don't really know all what that means. But it suggests a lot of things, doesn't it? Anyway, that's all.
2014. It was, yeah. the, the Joseph Fry was here, and, and uh, we were, it was kind of a real, went from preaching to a lot of prophetical words, and then we were, it, uh, it was the prophecy that came out of the ministry that night about how long do I stay, you know, because people like, and, and it seemed like there's a determination to stay here until these things are washed out of my life. When you wanted to get up and leave, but you still had these weights, and you still had this going on, and you still had this. How long? I mean, I don't know how many, how many times that phrases in that prophecy, how long do I stay in the river? How long do I stay in the river? And that thing about, if you'll make room for me, I'll, I'll come. That's kind of like Acts 2, isn't it? If you'll go to the upper room and wait, I'll come. They had to allow their natural lives to be disrupted. Well, can you imagine, can you imagine what a, a church must have went through in Pensacola? Ministry helped for five years. I mean, can you imagine having nursery and children's church uh, all week long for five years? Can you imagine how many sacrifices people made? And John Kilpatrick said, you know, he made an appeal to the people because he said, God's fixed to do something, but our building ain't ready. He said, I had no response. He said, so God used a man whose wife died who was decided to be a homosexual to pay for the whole thing. I mean, he asked, it's first right of refusal. God goes to us first. If we don't, he'll go somewhere else. So he said, but after we had the building ready, he said, within a month later, on Father's Day, boom. And then when, uh, I think I was telling you last week, when uh, from Korea, Paul Young and Joe, see, he prophesied that. Most people didn't know that. That he said I was preaching for Casey Treat in Washington, and I was in. Uh, this is Paul Young Cho, and he says, and I was in my hotel room, and he said, I know the states of the United States, and uh, he says, but I didn't know what Pensacola was. I had to look it up on the map, and he said, in my hotel room, he said it felt stupid, it felt awkward. He says, the Lord, tell me what he was going to do in a place called Pensacola in 1961. And he said, this is what I want you to, to say, and I want you to prophesy these things. And uh, Dr. Cho said, I never wanted to get to prophecy. He said, it scares me. He says, because, you know, things sometimes don't happen. He said, especially in Korea, if they don't happen pretty quick, they'll say, you're a false prophet. And he says, so I asked him several times, and nothing's happened in that place in America called Pensacola. He says, so, so when the revival had broken out, he came to speak to the church. And uh, he said, but no one, no one is happy as Dr. Cho. <laughs> he said, for all those. So he, the prophecy was in 61. God, John Kilpatrick didn't know that. He never told him that you had a five-year revival started in the 90s out of 61 prophecy. So, Amen.
Y'all have a y'all y'all have a big heart for people. You, you you've always had it. You're 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 always gracious and generous to guest ministers. You you've had a big heart for missions. Um, uh, you've you've helped the people who come here to go to the mission field to reach hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, you've helped build churches. You you've changed lives, uh, and not out of a great number of people. And uh, and the Lord knows that, and He and He responds to that, and uh, He's going to reward you for that. But it's just, it's just our time. It's just our time. So, and I was sitting back there praying ten minutes before the service two weeks ago. I mean, I, I knew what was going on. I could hear. I was praying, and then I just all of a sudden, all by myself. And I could hear everybody praying. Matt was praying. Everybody's praying in spirit and for the service. And he says, you, you have no place. He said, this, there's almost, he said, there's very little to no prayer going on in this church. Very little. He says, you'll never fulfill the call. You'll never fulfill the, what I've called this ministry to do without prayer. He said, it can't be done. He said, you'll live and die and never fulfill it. Well, that kind of tells you what you need to go do, doesn't it? I mean, I, I didn't need much explanation, so. So, it was something I was always going to go ahead and do. It's got to be done. We, we got to get there. It's the next thing, so. Uh, I don't say these things in the sense of, you know, like, I, I, I'm just making you aware. Some things you can come to, some things you can't. So, I'm not, you know, I'm not keeping attendance. I'm just. I'm just revealing what he told me. Make myself available. Anyway. I just want to say this. Because I, I, if I don't, I know it'll be disobedience if I don't say it. The part when I stay in the river until I laugh at my enemies and I stay until the joy comes back and sorrow and mourning flee. When I said that, it's like for just a moment, I so felt the heart of God until I laugh at my enemies. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes the laugh is a laugh of faith. Yeah. And sometimes we've just been laughing for a long time and we're like, I'm ready for this actually to be a laugh. Am I the only one? No. But there's something there. He said, until the joy comes back and sorrow and mourning flee. And the Lord is very uh, displeased, not with his children, but because so many in the body their lives look like someone who has no covenant. There's such a despondency and almost a hopelessness and a, you know, he, he read that in the Amplified. I don't mean to take extra time. I'm, 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 if you'll please listen, I'm speaking by the Holy Ghost because the Lord wants people free. If you've been dealing with something for a long time, that's not the will of God. It, it's not the will of God. And he, he, he hates that. Because he so loves us. 
But when he read Isaiah 16, the Amplified, and he says, arise from whatever it is that's, you know, the depression, the circumstances of life that have left you, you think, well, you know, everything. Well, no, but if you, if you know, I don't have to say it. You know what that is. Circumstances of life, things that have just gone on for a long time. And you know, this is not supposed to look like this. I'm not supposed to feel like this. This is not supposed to be. But he says that there is a rising from that. And this morning in prayer, I know, I know now what he said to me. But this morning in prayer, I got, I got two, uh, he said two things to me. He said a lifting and a shifting. And he gave me the analogy because it's a rainy day. But do you know if you go up above these clouds, it's not a rainy day. There's no storm. The sun is shining. It's, it's beautiful. And there's such a, uh, there's such a, uh, agenda from hell right now. Not that I'm trying to give awareness to that, but people need to know what it is because sometimes we think it's just, oh, I'm just having a hard time. No, you're not. You need to know. You need to know when you have an enemy and, and when he's doing certain things. And you need, yeah, the warfare. And, and, and we rise up on the inside. Because sometimes we can just get too accustomed to think, oh, this is just, you know, it, it, we can just be too natural-minded about things. But there's a despondency, and it's created, it's created this thing of no expectation. Like, I know it's true, and I believe it's true, but, but this has just been this way for so long, and, and, and we just get to feeling like we're just stuck up under it. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know what, this could represent so many different situations, but I'm just feeling the love of the Father right now. Because he so loves us. Everything he does is motivated from pure love. That needs to be meditated on. That's not something we can pick up in our natural minds. But there's such a love this morning, such an anointing for that right now, of just something. He says the joy comes back and the sorrow and the mourning flee. But there is such, oh my gosh, I don't know how to say it. He wants you to walk in that reality because he paid for it. This is true. This is real. This is true. And we could look and say it's 1230 and, and, and I understand that. But I'm just going to I'm just going to obey the Holy Ghost right now. If that resonates with you and, and if any of you need to go, but if that resonates with you. And there's some things there, and there's some, you know, heaviness, and there's some just almost like I want to, I want to see this, but it's almost like that, that despondency, that, that, that thing in Isaiah 60. I know, you know, you resonate with that. I know that that gross darkness has created something there, and it's like it's tried to keep me prostate, where it just nothing. It's just like it, I can't rise above it. Well, that thing's a lie. It's a big, fat lie. And he says right here, we stay in this river until where one member suffers, we all suffer. Lord. Mm. If, if, if that resonates and there's just things, it's just, it's just been this way, and you're like, no, but I know it's supposed to be this way, and I know the Lord told me these things, and I know what his word says, and I know what I know. And, and there's a freedom today. There's a freedom today where, where you're laughing today 
because it's, it, it was a laugh of faith, but now you're laughing because it's a reality. Because you actually went to the enemy's camp and you took it back. I, I don't even know how to put it in words how serious Jesus is about this today. But joy comes back. Sorrow and mourning flee. He's judged oppression. And freedom reigns. So I'm, I, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. But just right now in your heart, I'm going to pray. And just receive this by faith. In the name of Jesus, I address these situations. And Holy Ghost, you know every person in this room. You know every family they represent. Oh, gosh, praise you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I call to light every situation, every circumstance, Every burden, every heaviness, every part in, in these people's lives, in our lives, that the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy. And in the name of Jesus, I say no more. I speak the life of God to these situations. And I say in the name of Jesus, I bond every spirit. I bond every antichrist spirit that has tried to work in the minds Wills, emotions, and in the bodies. You have been exposed in the name of Jesus. You flee. And now, Father, I thank you for times of refreshing. Oh, boy, does he really want some times of refreshing for his children. Where you are experiencing the love of God. Not just in information. Not just something you read. Not somebody else's experience. And thank God for those. But he says, your experience in my love. In my love. With my love. In this river. I thank you, Father, that that is our expectancy now. I thank you, Father, that that's the new normal now. I speak joy. I speak hope. I speak life and light. That today is the day. We arise and shine because we are the light of the world. I thank you, Lord, that it's done. We take our place by faith. And we no longer give place to the enemy. We run him out. We tread and trample, not victory occasionally. We tread and we trample over every power of the enemy in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.